Uh, it is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent, and we've been spending this uh, month talking about the heart of Jesus. And we have focused, as uh, the scriptures do, on Jesus' love and compassion, his gentle and lowly nature. But we, we run the risk, right? We have this kind of challenge of, of making Jesus into this two-dimensional, flattened-out character on a page. Uh, when Jesus is anything but. Jesus is a, is a real person. He is a real human being, and that means that uh, he experiences the full gamut of human emotions. I know, you know, in years past, if you watched a, a movie or a television series about Jesus, uh, Jesus would kind of come across as this, you know, stoic, uh, soft-spoken uh, you might imagine, you know, he didn't really ever walk anywhere. He just kind of floated, you know, his toes never really touching the ground. But that's not an accurate portrayal of who Jesus is. Uh, and so since we've, we've spent time talking about Jesus' compassion and mercy, we ought to ask the question, what about his other emotions? Uh, did Jesus ever get angry? And if the answer is yes, what was it that made Jesus angry? Uh, and there are a lot of places we could go to answer that question. There are a few places we could go. This morning, we're going to go to John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to John chapter 11. And while you're turning there, let me just kind of catch you up on, on what's happened so far in this chapter, what's going on in John 11. Uh, Jesus uh, has some close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, uh, and Jesus gets word that Lazarus has gotten sick. Mary and Martha send Jesus word that Lazarus has gotten sick. Uh, and Jesus doesn't go right away, and Lazarus ends up dying. Okay? Uh, and so we're going to pick up the story in verse 17 of John 11. Uh, once, by the way, once Jesus dies... Uh, excuse me, once Lazarus dies, then Jesus makes his way to Bethany. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming... She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask, uh, God, our, our tendency is uh, to make you in our image. Uh, to bring you down and make you like us. Lord, but your goal is to make us in your image, your image that we were created in. You want to bring us up. So God, as we look at this, I pray that you would keep us from making Jesus like us, but that you would show us how Jesus saves and sanctifies us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The central truth that I want to explore this morning, and I read all of those verses just to give you a good sense of the story. We're going to focus in on a few, but the central truth that I want to explore this morning is this. Does Jesus get angry? Yes. But where does that anger come from? You know, uh, counselors will tell you that Anger really isn't a root emotion, that it's, a, that it's symptomatic, that if you're angry about something, um, you're usually not angry down at the root. There's something that is making you angry. Theologian B.B. Warfield, who writes a very helpful piece called The Emotional Life of Our Lord, it's public domain, you can find it for free on the internet, I encourage you to read it. He talks about how anger has its root in pain, whether that's uh, physical or emotional, that our anger usually springs out of, out of something else. Uh, and, so, and so it is with Jesus. And what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus' anger, it's very real. 
Jesus' anger flows out of his compassion. Jesus' anger flows out of his love. So I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about that and why I think that's true, and then uh, we're going to look at several ways uh, that that impacts us, what that means for us. So let's talk about this. Jesus' anger flows out of his compassion. Now, we don't usually put those two things together, do we? Anger and compassion. In fact, it's really hard for us to be angry at someone and love them at the same time. Just think about the number of times that you've been angry in the past week or maybe in the past 12 hours. Now, uh, how many times was love at the root of that anger? And I don't mean love of self, but love for someone else. How often was love at the root of your anger? Right, we're, a, we're a people of mixed motives. Some of our motives are good, and many of them are not. And, and because of our experience, we don't often equate those two things, love and anger. So what do I mean when I say that Jesus' anger flows out of his compassion? Well, let's, uh, let's look at the passage. Look in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary's sister Martha had said exactly the same thing uh, just a few moments earlier, and, and you understand the struggle, don't you? You understand. You, you may have voiced something like what Mary and Martha voice here. Right, what, are they, what are they questioning well, deep down, I think they're questioning Jesus' love. They're questioning Jesus' actions. What are, they, what are they saying? Where were you, Lord? You're, you're four days too late. If you loved us, if you really loved us, you would have been here. What are you doing, Lord? You understand that, don't you? You and I have those same exact expectations of God. God, if you really loved me, you would do blank. Lord, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have allowed blank to happen. God, if you, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have taken away blank. And so what Mary and Martha are questioning, yes, they're questioning Jesus' actions, but underneath that, they're questioning his love. You should have been here. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. But I want you to go back. What, what, what happened here? Is this a, a, a failure of love? Was Jesus asleep at the wheel? Did he not realize what was going to happen to Lazarus? Let's go back and look at verse 3 of chapter 11. We didn't read this one. But we see there that the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So the word love is in their plea. He whom you love is ill. And remember, this is a day and time when the common cold could kill you. Now, there are no vaccines. There are no antibiotics. 
There is no ibuprofen. Right? To be ill in Jesus' day is to be in a dangerous spot. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus is described not by his name, but by the fact that he is loved by Jesus. And what do you do when you get news like this? Right? When people that you love are hurting, what do you do? You show up, right? But what does Jesus do? Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus has a purpose in what Lazarus and Mary and Martha are going through. And it is bigger than Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But I imagine no less frustrating, no less grieving. Now look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus' love is not in question here. John wants us to be sure that we are aware that Jesus loves. Love is all over this passage. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, what would you expect to come next? He went as quick as he could to see him. He, he borrowed a donkey uh, and got there as quick as he could to be at Lazarus' best side. That's, that's, what you, that's what you expect Jesus to do, isn't it? Now, when, now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Jesus loves these people dearly, and he waits. Jesus does not go Immediately. Out of love, Jesus waits. We're told that Jesus' waiting is a response to his love. He loved them, therefore he didn't go. Sometimes Jesus tells us to wait, doesn't he? Sometimes Jesus puts you on hold, doesn't he? And the, and the response of our hearts is, do you not love me? And Jesus' response is, I love you more. Jesus tells his disciples that there is a goal in Lazarus' being ill. Jesus knows exactly what he's going to Bethany to do. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the goal is that God would be glorified. So when Jesus says, Wait. It is not out of a lack of love. It is because he has something greater in mind. He wants to draw us to himself. I know that's not, that's not always comforting. Uh, that can be very frustrating. That can be very grieving. And that's actually not what this sermon is about. It's not about God's purposes and our pain. It's about Jesus' anger. 
Now, where did we see Jesus get angry? Let's go back to verse 32. Mary comes to Jesus, says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, now this is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a funeral procession uh, in Latin American or Near Near Eastern or Asian countries, but they are not quiet affairs, right? Our, our darker brothers and sisters, they know how to mourn. We could probably stand to learn a few things from them. If you're, uh, if you're a gringo like me, if you're, if you're a European, Caucasian American, you could probably stand to learn a, two, a thing or two about grief from those with darker skin tones. So this is out loud wailing and weeping. And Martha's, so when Martha says this, excuse me, when Mary says this, she is sobbing to Jesus. And the people around her are sobbing. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Now that that translation uh, kind of obscures it. You may have a footnote there that says he was indignant. There's a word here that's only used a handful of times uh, in the Bible And when it is, it refers to a warning or an angry rebuke or to indignation. Uh, In other places, this word is used to describe a horse snorting. Now, when does a horse snort? When it's mad. Jesus is angry. Jesus sees the scene around him, and it makes him deeply angry. And it parallels with this that he was greatly troubled. That word troubled. He's stirred up. He's shaken. So Jesus isn't overwhelmed simply with grief here. He's not just sad, but he's actually deeply angry. He's indignant at what he sees around him. He is moved to the core of his being. Why? What is it that makes Jesus angry? What is he angry about? Now, we should say, remember, the Bible tells us that Jesus is like us in every way, yet without sin. Uh, And so that means he could get angry without sinning. I'm not sure that I've ever done that. But Jesus can. Jesus can get angry without sinning. Uh, to use that stirred up word, it's like taking a, a clean bottle of water, a clear bottle of water, and you can shake it up and disturb the water, but it doesn't make the water dirty. You can still see it. It's still clear. Jesus' anger is pure and it is holy. What is it directed at? It's a good question. John doesn't explicitly say. And so some uh, would say unbelief. And that could certainly be part of it. Mary and Martha both confronting Jesus, almost rebuking Jesus. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Unbelief. In verse 37, we see that some in the crowd questioned Jesus' ability. If he healed the blind man, surely he could have kept this guy from dying. They either doubt his ability or they doubt his purpose. So there's unbelief here. And that would square with what we see in other places where Jesus gets angry. When Jesus cleanses the temple, when he he makes his own whip, right? 
You know, you know that's a special form of indignation when you make your own whip to drive animals out of the temple. Why does he do it? Because the merchants are obscuring worship. They're keeping people from being able to worship God. And that makes Jesus angry. Jesus repeatedly gets angry at the Pharisees and the scribes, again, for keeping people away from God, for making it hard for people to follow God, for caring more about their traditions than they do about a disabled man who needs to be healed. These things make Jesus angry. We saw when we looked at Luke's gospel that Jesus is moved to tears as he approaches Jerusalem for the last week of his life He's moved to tears by the generations of unbelief and rebellion that are symbolized by that city. So yes, Jesus is angry at unbelief, but I think there's more here as well. Jesus is moved. He stirred up and he he says, where have you laid him? And they say to him, Lord, come and see. And what does Jesus do when he comes and he sees the tomb? He cries. It's a different word than the out loud wailing and weeping of the crowd. It's not the loud sobbing, but tears are streaming down his face when he sees where his friend has been buried. An outpouring of the anger stirring within him. B.B. Warfield, again, says, it is death. That is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death. And whom Jesus has come into the world to destroy. So what Warfield says is that when Jesus sees the tomb, it is a visceral reminder to him of why he has come. He sees death. He sees sorrow. He sees the effects of sin and Satan at work in the world. And he is angry. John Calvin says that Christ approaches the tomb as a champion, preparing for a contest. And we need not wonder that he groans as the violent tyranny of death, which he had to conquer, is placed before his eyes. So Jesus is not angry for himself. He's not irritated because his expectations haven't been met. Jesus is angry at the havoc our sin wreaks in the world. Injustice, self-righteousness, pride, unbelief, doubt, death. He knows these things ought not to be, and he is angry. And he moves against them. And the good news is, he alone is one who can do something about it. He alone is the one who can put an end to death and will. So Jesus' anger flows out of his compassion for lost sinners. Jesus' anger flows out of his desire to make things right. What does that mean for us? First, what does that mean for how we handle our emotions? First, we see that we can be emotional. Uh, that emotional emotions are not... Uh, contrary to Christian maturity. Stoicism is not the definition of Christian maturity. We can be emotional, even deeply emotional. Jesus is, without sin. 
But we also see that Jesus was never mastered by his emotions. His emotions did not control him. If stoicism isn't Christian maturity, neither is hyper-emotionalism, where your emotions are out of control. How quickly we allow our emotional state to gain mastery over us. That, that, is, not, uh, that is not Jesus, and that is not the way for us. Rather, we are told that we can weep with those who weep. Isn't that what Jesus does? As he enters his friend's grief, he cries with them. In fact, he understands their suffering more than they do. And that's, for those of us who follow Jesus, that's what we're called to do. We can weep with those who weep. Paul says in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. I don't even, I don't even know how to apply that one. Be angry and do not sin. You know, Jesus was never angry for himself. As, as Jesus went on his way, uh, as Jesus uh, was uh, unjustly, unjustly arrested and put on trial and then beaten and then crucified, Jesus never gets angry for himself in any of that. He never defends himself. His anger is for others. His anger is about what angers God. May we learn to be the same. May our anger have less and less self in it and more and more others in it. May we be angry about what angers God. What does it mean for how we face evil? Jesus' anger tells us that God cares about evil. He hates injustice. He hates wrongdoing. In fact, he hates it more than we do. And he actually has the ability, as I said, to do something about it. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And he knows that he is going to deal with evil. And so Paul could write in Romans 12. So we might say, well, then what what do I do when people wrong me, when evil comes against me? What do I do about that? Romans 12, 19, Paul says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Because Jesus is the Lord who cares, we don't actually have to stand up for ourselves. We can give it to him. We can can trust him with what is just and necessary. Paul goes on, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, You may be familiar uh, with the uh, Charlie Hebdo killings a number of years ago in France. Uh, Charlie Hebdo is a a satirical magazine. uh, And a number of years ago, uh, they uh, posted some, or they... um, uh, some, there were some pictures in their magazine, satirical pictures, uh, criticizing the Prophet Muhammad. And the response from uh, one Muslim in particular was to go to the offices of Charlie Hebdo and kill people. Uh, so he felt uh, that the honor of Muhammad was in question, therefore he needed to go exact payment for that. 
Friends, this is why worldview matters so much. We do not have a God we have to defend. In fact, we have a God who didn't even defend himself. He allowed himself to be mocked, spit on, beaten, and crucified. Because he knew that he would handle it. He knew a day was coming when all the wrongs would be set right. In fact, he came to make that day possible. So he didn't feel the need. And you know what he calls us to? The exact same. We don't have to make our case. Jesus makes it for us. We don't have to defend Jesus' honor. Jesus doesn't need our help. We get the opportunity to tell people good news. That the God that they're rebelling from, the God that they're defaming and insulting, actually loves them and wants them to be in. That's the difference that, that a dying Savior makes in our worldview. And that's what it means for how we face evil. Now, what about when people wrong others? When we see injustice, when we see the things that would bother God. Well, if you can do something about it, do something about it. It is right to stand up for what is right. Now, what does that mean for suffering? What does Jesus' standing outside Lazarus' tomb mean for us when we face suffering? Well, one, it means Jesus understands. It's the interaction between Aslan and Diggory uh, in the book, The Magician's Nephew. Uh, Diggory is the, uh, is the main character of that book, and he sees Aslan. Uh, Aslan is the lion, the Christ figure. Uh, he watches Aslan sing the world into existence, and he knows Aslan is this creature of unimaginable power. And you see back home, Diggory's mom is sick. And she's been sick for a long time, and it doesn't look like she's going to get any better. And so, at one point in the story, Diggory says to Aslan, But please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he'd been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at its face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near to his own. And wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment... He felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan. I know. Grief is great. Jesus understands. Jesus knows. I can't explain why God allows suffering and evil to exist in the world. I can't explain why he uses these things to draw us to himself. But I can tell you this, that God went to a friend's funeral. And he outgrieved everybody who was there. Jesus knows and he understands. And he came to crush death to death. And he demonstrates that through raising Lazarus from the dead. But you know, Lazarus would die again. How awful is that? 
Lazarus had to die twice. But he demonstrates it in what he tells Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And everyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in me will live forever. You see, Lazarus's tomb is not the last tomb in Jesus' story. I imagine that as Jesus stood outside that tomb in Bethany, just a little over two miles away was the city of Jerusalem. And if you'll notice, it's not long after this that Jesus goes to that city. And just outside the city walls, there's a garden. And in that garden, there's a tomb, a virgin tomb, a tomb that nobody had yet been laid in. And as Jesus has the stone rolled away from Lazarus's tomb, he knows it's where he's going. He knows that he too, that, that he'll be the one who sees the inside of the tomb. But in his case, that tomb will not hold him. He will leave that tomb and that stone will be rolled away. And he will rise to newness of life. Yes, Jesus gets angry. And it's unbelief and sin and doubt and death that make him angry. But Jesus also is the one who does something about it. He goes to the cross so that you and I, may, we, we may die physically, but we will never die spiritually. And he rises from the dead to put death to death once and for all. Now that's good news. I hope you believe it. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so glad you're not like us. We're so glad that your anger isn't like our anger. We're so glad that you don't come to defend yourself, but that you come to die so that you can make it right. Lord God, we rejoice that your holy vengeance is poured out on Jesus in our place. And so we can trust you. We can trust that you always have our good in mind. And that even when we have to wait, you care more about what is wrong in our lives and what is wrong in the world than we can even care ourselves. You know so much more and you know so much better. So Lord, I pray that we would trust and believe in you. And that you would raise us to newness of life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.